Today, I have the privilege uh, of welcoming and introducing you uh, to one of my good friends. Um, I have known Dr. John Cross for a few years now. God allowed our paths to cross, and he's going to be speaking for us this morning. Uh, he's pastored in South Florida for many, many years. He's now transitioned onto staff at Fellowship Church under the leadership of Pastor Ed Young. And he serves there also with C3 Global, uh, an organization that not only operates within a network of churches in this country, but also in work all around the globe. Uh, every time I talk to John, uh, he just encourages me. I had him over last night for dinner, made dinner for him, can I get a witness, and uh, made him my Trinity meatballs, pork, beef, and veal, you know, three Trinity, okay, anyway, so it's a preacher thing, and uh, we just hung out and we talked, and every time we just hang out, I always feel encouraged. Uh, he loves the local church, uh, he loves Jesus, and, and he loves the work that God's doing in and through you. He is the husband uh, to one and the father of five, and he's been a pastor, he's been a leader, he's led large churches, large organizations, and he has made a tremendous impact in many people's lives, including my own. Uh, again, he spent most of his life in South Florida pastoring, and now he's in Dallas, Texas, so he really doesn't know how us folks in Southeastern Kentucky likes to do church. So I want you to talk to him today. I want you to let him know when he's preaching good. Uh, let him know that Southeast Kentucky is the single best place in this world to preach and make him feel encouraged. Put your hands together for Pastor John Cross. There he comes. Come on out. Preach it, brother. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Have fun. Thank you, Pastor Trevor Barton. I know you all know this, but you have like the coolest pastor on the planet. Is he not? I mean, come on. What a blessing it is to have him as a very close friend in my life, and I'm so thankful for him. And of course, I know you're thankful for him and his wife and family. And uh, kind of just a real Wikipedia version on my experience with the creek is for about 20 years, I've been coming up here to Jackson County where there's some folks there who are like second parents to me. And I love them so much. And they've invited me up through the years to come and hang at their farm. And I usually come two or three times a year. And about, oh, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, they began to tell me about this church over in London called Hawk Creek Baptist Church that was on fire. I mean, it was exploding with growth. God was doing amazing things there. People were driving from all around. And so I was so excited about it. And then, and I think summer of 2006 or seven, uh, we sneaked off from their church and came here on a Sunday night when you guys were meeting over in the community center. Anybody remember that back in those days? It was like in July. And it was a phenomenal service. He was out of town, but I had such a great time there. And as he mentioned, uh, in time, God allowed our paths to cross, and he's been such a great friend to me. And I just want to say this, and I really, really mean this, but what God is doing at the Creek Church is absolutely supernatural. Can we praise God for that? I'm just telling you, it is miraculous. I mean, this story would be a great story no matter where it was happening in our country. But when God is doing what he's doing in a relatively small town, but now is exploding throughout the region, it is absolutely phenomenal. So one more time, can we praise God for what he's doing at the Creek Church? And this is what I'm sure of. Your greatest days are ahead of you. I'm excited about where you've been, but I am fired up about your future. So thank the Lord for the Creek Church. 
Well, I want you to think for just a moment about perhaps something that is pressing hard on you. What is weighing you down right now? I'm talking like right this minute. If, if, if someone could, could open up your heart emotionally and see what's there, perhaps peek into your mind, what are you experiencing? What is it that you would like God to do something about in your life today? You got it? All right, hang on to that. We'll come back to it a little later. We're obviously living in some pretty challenging times. I mean, once again, the 22nd shooting at a school in our country this past Friday there in Santa Fe, and to see and to hear about the tremendous loss there is absolutely overwhelming. And really, when you just look at what's going on nationally in our nation, the division and the hurt and the pain, there's just so much taking place internationally, globally, obviously. There's so many problems. And I know locally uh, that, that there's been a challenge for years now with drugs. I mean, there are so many big problems in our world today. And then personally, some of us are carrying some, some very, very, very uh, hard hurts in our heart. And we have to ask ourselves, what in the world is going on? Well, you know, if you look at the book of Genesis, if you have a Bible, turn there. It's the very first book in the Bible. The word Genesis means beginning. And, and if you'll turn to the book of Genesis chapter four, we're gonna pick up an amazing story because if you can remember with me, God created everything that we see, this incredibly beautiful world. And he, he created Adam and Eve, put them in this perfect place called the Garden of Eden. Perhaps it was in uh, Laurel County, Kentucky. Maybe that's where the Garden of Eden was. Anybody wanna agree with me on that? I mean, is that, are we in Laurel County? Am I out there? Do I have the right county? Okay, I just want to make sure, all right? So here it is, the Garden of Eden in Laurel County, Kentucky. And Adam and Eve, eat anything, enjoy everything. It's all yours. And I'm thankful that God's a God of yes. And he says, enjoy it all. There's just one tree. Don't eat from that tree. But if you do, it's going to you know, bring pain and hurt to your lives and others. And sure enough, you know the rest of the story. They did. Fast forward, they have some kids. And, and then we read the tragic story, the first murder in human history when Cain killed his brother Abel. And the scripture says that after Cain did that, he, he walked out of, Genesis chapter 4, the presence of the Lord. Adam and Eve had another son. And then in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, we read these words. At this time, at this point, people began to call on the name of the Lord. At what point? When things were getting decadently dark, when, when times were getting worse and worse, when it seemed as if it could not even get any worse, then people began to call the name of the Lord. Now, it's very interesting. We have to remember that at this time, there were no churches. There was no Bible. There were no, no pastors, no priests. So what was it? How was it that these people knew that when trouble comes, when difficult times arrive, how was it that they knew Call on the name of the Lord. Well, it's interesting because somehow, someway, it appears as if God had revealed himself in a way to where people knew there's a God and that God loves you and that God cares about you. And by the way, he does. And that God will intervene on your behalf when you call out to him. In fact, Genesis chapter four, verse 26 is the first mention of prayer in all of the word of God. So it says, when things got difficult, they began to call. Everybody say call. One, two, three. Call. 
One more time, this time with some passion. Call on the name of the Lord. Thank you for talking back to me. I grew up in Northeast Georgia. My father pastored rural churches. He was a bivocational pastor. And I kind of grew up old school, you know, where the pastor preaches and the people talk back to them. And then in South Florida, where I pastored, we were, we're a multicultural church. And sometimes I would preach and sometimes they would preach and we had a fun time. So if you'll just talk back to me some, I'll preach longer. So let's just keep moving, all right? Yeah, people began to say it with me call on the name of the Lord. What does that word call mean? It has a very interesting meaning in the original language of the Old Testament, which is Hebrew. It means to cry out urgently, fervently, passionately. There's just this cry for help because things are really, really bad. We're talking, help me, that kind of a cry. I remember when I was transitioning from sixth grade to seventh grade, and we lived in a small town, and it's much smaller than actually London, and, and so um, you could try out as a seventh grader for the high school band, and I did, I played trumpet and made it. We went off to band camp up in the mountains of North Georgia, and um, they decided one afternoon after we'd had marching practice that we were gonna have a canoe race and it would be the upperclassmen versus the incoming classes. So you're already intimidated enough as a seventh grader when you're off at camp with these high schoolers. And we just came from marching a practice and you know, we had our clothes on. So I had on my, my Levi jeans, a t-shirt, high top, old school Chuck Taylor Converse shoes. All right. And they're, they're cool again now, but back in the day. How many of you wore them back in the day? Yeah. So way back in the day, I had those on. But we got into the canoe. My buddy Glenn Brown was behind me and uh, in the canoe. And we didn't have any life preservers on. We didn't have any life jackets on. And we started across the, the lake, you know, in this race. But about halfway across the lake, we realized this was really not a, a contest. It, was, it wasn't really a race because some of the upperclassmen jumped out of their canoes, started swimming over to the other underclassmen's canoes and tipping the canoes over. Now, did I say I was a seventh grader? Did I say that I was nervous? Did I say I felt intimidated? Did I say that I had Levi jeans on with high top Converse tennis shoes? And did I say that I did not have a life preserver nor a life jacket on? And did I also fail to tell you that I wasn't a very good swimmer at the time? So you can imagine the fear, the anxiety that struck in my heart. I mean, I was like going under and I was, you know, screaming, yelling for help, splashing, you know, I was like, help, help, help. And, you know, I kept going down and, and in my mind, I mean, I know this is probably kind of crazy, but I saw my funeral, you know, flash before me. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. I'm about to clock out. I'm about to check out as a seventh grader. And all of a sudden, as I look through the mucky waters uh, there of that lake, I see what appeared to be the bottom of a canoe heading my way. And sure enough, that time when I came out of the water, I grabbed on to the edge of that canoe. A guy named Jeff, who also was a follower of Jesus, safely pulled me in. And I am forever glad that literally, he, I believe he saved my life that day. That, my friend, is the urgency of that word in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, when it says, then they began to call urgently, fervently, passionately on the name of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever pray that way? 
You ever found yourself in a situation in life where you are calling out that you're crying out? I understand, you know, we live in a culture so, so many ways sophisticated and refined, but at the end of the day, the scripture says that in the, the early times that when people began to pray, that they prayed in such a way to where there was, there was passion in their prayer. And notice it says they called upon the name of the Lord. That word Lord is translated also Jehovah. It's the most commonly used name for God in all the Old Testament, used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And it refers to the fact, and it means to live, it means to be, because to be is to live, it means life. Jehovah means that God is self-existent, the one and only possessor of life. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He's the uncaused first cause. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of everything, the entire universe and all the galaxies we can see and that we cannot see. He is the one who made it all because, again, he made everything out of nothing. God, that's the God that they're calling out to. The God who is everywhere all the time the God who knows all things, the God who is all powerful, the God who is able to intervene on the behalf of those who cry out to him, that's the one that somehow, someway they knew to call and to cry out to. This scripture says they begin to call on the name of, of that God. Maybe you remember the story of a man named Moses and he was called of God to lead his people out of Egypt where they were in slavery and in bondage. And Moses one day was out watching his father-in-law's sheep. And the scripture says that there was a bush that, that was on fire, but it was not being consumed. And God spoke to him from that bush. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard a bush talking, I'd probably go over there and listen to it as well, right? So sure enough, God is talking to him. He says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses said to him, who should I say, send me? I mean, I'm a shepherd. And the scripture says, God said to Moses, you tell him I am who I am is sending you. In the book of Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter three, I am who I am is sending you. I love the fact that once again, we find that word Jehovah. He says, I am has sent you. Moses, you're not going on your authority. You're going on my authority. And when you break down I am, that literally carries with it the fact that he is the God who always has been, always is, always will be, because he literally translates I, I am, I, I is. I know it's not good grammar, but to God, there is no tomorrow because he's already there. There's no yesterday because he was there. He is there. He has always been there. I am that I am. Have you ever thought about the fact that God lives on EST? eternity, standard time. And that God knows everything going on in your life that has happened in your life. And that God wants to work on behalf of those things that have taken place in your life. And that God loves you so much, so cares so much about you that somehow miraculously, he has the ability and he has the power. It's a mystery to me, quite honestly, to take what today appears to be evil and when we submit to his plan and purpose for our lives, which is to be made like him, then when we submit to that, 
We allow him, we cry out to him, we yield to him that he can take what was bad today and turn it into to good tomorrow. That's what he promises to do. And that's the I am that, that, that Moses was hearing from. And that's the I am who says to you today, I want you to check this out in Jeremiah 33, 3, to call upon me. He says, call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you unsearchable things that you cannot even begin to imagine. Call out to me. There it is again. Prayer, call out to me. How about the book of Psalms where the scripture says in Psalm 50 and verse number five, call upon me in the day of trouble. And God says, I will answer you. I will deliver you. You will then honor me. Call out to me. So what is God inviting us to do? The God who is the I am, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, that Jehovah God is saying to you and to me, I want you to call out to me. I want you to cry out to me. I want you to, to pray. I want you to come to me with your cares. That phrase, call on the name of the Lord, is mentioned dozens of times throughout the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms because it's like a book of prayers, and I find myself regularly actually praying those prayers back to, to God myself. God wants us simply to call out to him. Now, let's think about it, though. We tend, when we have problems, to oftentimes call on others before we call on God. I'm guilty of that. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. It's like, hey, who can I talk to about this? Not that that's, there's not a place for that somewhere, but it ought to be that when I have a problem, when I have a need, that the first one I want to respond to is God because he is my ultimate resource and he is the one who can resource the ultimate needs of my life. And so God wants me to call to him. But what do we tend to do? We want to Google it, right? How to have a better marriage. How to deal with my kids. And if you've got kids, and, and by the way, aren't you excited that school's about to get out, students? Are you excited about that? Summer is here. Are y'all about to get out up here in Kentucky or do y'all go year round? Y'all getting out or no? Yeah, you get now. Okay. Parents, aren't you excited that your kids are about to be out for the summer? That's where I was headed with that. Yeah. Parents are like, oh yeah, they're about to get out. All right. But anyway, yeah, the summer's here. How do you deal with your kids? Well, how do I handle my finances? And there's a place for that. Absolutely. But God says, I want you to call upon me. I got something better for you than Dr. Phil does or Oprah does or Dr. Oz does. Again, I'm thankful for, for, for technology. I'm thankful for medicine. Absolutely, positively utilize it. They are a gift from God. But at the end of the day, ultimately, even all those wonderful gifts are from God because the scripture says every good and wonderful gift is come, comes from above. So what we've got to do is call on God. And that's, that's what I've found in my own life over and over and over again, he's able to do. In my own life, when I was called to be a pastor, I was 14 years of age. I was at a youth camp and I knew God was calling me, but to be quite transparent with you, I was very introverted and felt very incapable uh, on a lot of different levels for uh, many reasons. And, and quite frankly, even to this day, I feel that way, but, but I'm glad that just like God said, I will be with you, Moses. Uh, God didn't audibly speak to me, but through, through his scripture and through his spirit within me, he assured me, I will be with you. Well, the time came for me to, to go to school and, and I'm thankful for my parents and they're the most awesome people, but we didn't have a lot of resources. And so it's kind of like, how am I going to go to college? We didn't have the money. And 
And I prayed and I called on the name of the Lord. And through long story short, God provided jobs that allowed me to work as I attended for my undergraduate degree. And it was paid for when I graduated and was able to save some money for graduate school. And then I find myself out in Texas uh, going to, to graduate school to seminary. And, and again, had saved enough to get there, but, but time over time, I was not able to find a job and, and, and resources was, were, were kind of dwindling down. And I remember one occasion I was praying, Lord, I, I need enough to finish this semester. And it was about six, eight weeks out. And, and then I was still praying about a summer opportunity for, uh, to work in a church, maybe be an intern. And, and um, as I was praying and asking, an opportunity came to go speak at this church up in Southern Illinois. And it was at that church that God did some great things that week. But when I went to leave, I had no clue, I had no idea. I was a seminary student and I'd ridden there on a bus and they said, hey, uh, listen, by the way, so thankful for you being here this week. They handed me a check and in that check, God provided enough for me to finish that entire semester. I'm telling you church, God will answer our prayers if we will ask him. And I found it over and over and over and over again. But you might be saying, well, how do you do that? How do you call on the name of the Lord? Did you know Jesus' disciples asked him the same thing? They came to him one day and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I think it's interesting. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. You're a great preacher. Teach us to teach like you teach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to lead as you lead or teach us to connect with people like you have this incredible ability to do. Teach us to, to heal the sick or to raise the dead. They said, Lord, teach us to pray because they had observed even in the life of Jesus. And by the way, if Jesus found himself alone in the presence of his heavenly father, praying for power and strength to do what God had called him to do, how much more do we need to do the same thing? And so Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16. He says, I say to you, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, the construct of that phrase in the original language, ask, seek, and knock, is the continuous action. So the idea there is ask, but keep on asking. Seek, but keep on seeking. Knock, but keep on knocking. So don't just fire for prayer one time and it'd be like, well, God didn't answer my prayer. So I guess I got to take matters into my own hands now. I got to resolve this myself. No, he says, you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Say that with me, class one, two, three. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Yeah, you got to keep on keeping on. So you got to keep asking. And I found myself doing that. Graduated from seminary. God called me to pastor in southwest Florida in a small town in a retirement community and everybody was from the northeast and the midwest and here I am in the Caribbean and eastern Europe and here I'm a country boy from Georgia and I'm like wow God what an amazing opportunity but what a great challenge we have before us handful of people the median age of the church was about 87 I was 27 <laughs> I still was not married I was praying for a wife I was asking I was seeking I was knocking asking seeking and knocking and so all of a sudden at 27, you realize, hey, the only, the only possibilities are widows and they're ranging from 77. <laughs> the cougars in the church, man, it was amazing. At least they had cool cars, you know? I mean, they had those uh, Mercury Grand Marquis and Lincoln Town cars. So man, I was sporting, of course they were driving, I was riding and 
We go for those early bird specials, you know, go for dinner about three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, if I timed it just right, I could get a couple of them in, you know, in the evening, you know, one at three, one at 5.36. I mean, it was, it was great for a little while. And then it's kind of like, hey, do you have any daughters or granddaughters, you know? And uh, yeah, I was asking, seeking, knocking, and God just wasn't answering my prayer. And time passed, and God blessed the church, and he was growing the church. Amazing things were happening. And, and then time passed, and long story short, I was like, hey, um, you know, my friends were like, hey, bro, the woman you're dreaming of and asking God for does not exist. Come to reality. You, you, you're aiming way too high. And so, man, come on. Just, just, just chill. Not going to happen for you, maybe. I mean, somewhere like that. Then, of course, I have my pastor's wives who are always trying to introduce me to, to, to girls. And, and that's, that's kind of okay, you know, for a while and, and nice. And, and I'll try to stay on track here. But, but, but over time, you know, it's kind of like, okay. But, but, but years ago, years ago, um, something very attractive happened. A, a, a lady who was married to a pastor for almost 20 years and her husband had six, six uh, kids found herself as a widow. Her husband and 13-year-old son died in a small plane crash. And um, pastor in a very large church. I knew him as an acquaintance. Uh, didn't never, had never met his wife and kids, of course. And time passed, and they were living out in Oklahoma after the death of her husband and, and son. And, and um, as the months passed and time passed, and, some different friends of mine would be like, hey, you know, pastor's wives, you do realize that, you know, again, months are passing, that that's, this Dawn Pollock, she's a really beautiful girl and a woman, and those kids are, seem to be amazing. You really need to meet her. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, she's so beautiful, and those kids, and I don't think so. And again, months would, would go by, and, and, and they would kind of keep telling me, and then it was kind of like, hey, if you do not try to meet her, and if you don't try to connect with her, then you're gonna, somebody's gonna, you know, go after her and you're gonna be kicking yourself. So, you know, the scripture says, call on the name of the Lord. So I was calling the name of the Lord, but then sometimes you gotta make another call. Are you with me? <laughs> and so this time, instead of, you know, friends setting it up, I actually decided, hey, Facebook is a gift from God, right? Let me see if she's on there. So sure enough, she was. And we began to talk some through Facebook got her phone number, began to communicate with her. She was out in Oklahoma, I'm in South Florida. This lady is just absolutely gorgeous, amazing kids. And then one day we were texting. It was January, it was snowing out in Edmond, Oklahoma, where she lived near her parents. And we're going back and forth. I was in Florida and the sun was shining. I was hanging out at Starbucks with some pastor buddies and we were texting. And of course, they were like, are you serious, man? This is awesome, you know, and, and all that. I'm like, yeah. We're texting then, and, and so uh, she asked what I was doing. I told her, and I was like, do you like coffee? And she sent a text back and said, no, but if I did, would you bring me some? Well, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> You're not the brightest crayon in the box. I had not met her in person yet, but that told me I am on the next plane to Edmond, Oklahoma, right? 
Well, I had a funeral, so I couldn't, you know, the next day. So sure enough, that was a Super Bowl Sunday coming up. I flew out there, met her, dated her for months and months, obviously, and then eventually got engaged. We got married. I adopted all five kids. Don't tell me God does not hear and answer prayers. You've got to keep on asking. You've got to keep on seeking. You've got to keep on knocking, and God will answer prayers. But you've got to remember that sometimes... God doesn't answer our prayers. What then? Why does God not answer our prayers sometimes? Well, sometimes it might be because of unconfessed sin. David said in the book of Psalms, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So when we're harboring sin in our heart, God does not hear. So the good news is, is the scripture also says, as a Christ follower, if we will confess our sins, he that is God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that means today, right here, right now, you can seek his forgiveness and he will grant it to you. So sometimes it's because of, of unconfessed sin. Other times it's self-centered, selfish praying. Because we're really praying for our will to be done, not God's will to be done. For our agenda to move ahead, not for God's agenda to move ahead. In fact, Jesus taught us how to pray. And he said, when you pray, part of that prayer was for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in order for God's kingdom to come in my life, that means my kingdom has to go. And the book of James says that sometimes we don't have what we ask for because we're asking it for our own selfish purposes. Other times it perhaps is because of a lack of faith. We're just kind of, you know, saying something, but we really aren't praying. We're just, just saying it because we know we're supposed to be saying it because you see, you've got to pray in faith and faith makes God's promises real in our lives, even before perhaps they happen when it's his plan and purposes. But God's always going to answer your prayers. Sometimes the answer is a resounding yes. I mean, it's like absolutely positively. Sometimes as our loving heavenly father, the answer is no. And by the way, anytime God tells us no, it's for our protection. We have uh, a little granddaughter now who's, now she's four, but a few years ago when she was about, I don't know, actually about a year ago when she was three, when they were having dinner around the table, she wanted to go out the pool and we were all busy eating dinner and she was going around to everyone around the table begging for the opportunity to go out to the pool. Of course, the sliding glass door was locked and the answer was no. And of course, she began to kind of, you know, get upset and, and frustrated. But at the end of the day, the reason the answer was no is because we were trying to protect her. And sometimes God says no to your request because God is trying to protect you. Other times God may be saying, you know what? The answer is yes, but you've got to wait on it. Wait, not yet. In my own life, praying for a wife and family, I'm convinced that God was prepare me. God was getting me ready. So I'm a single guy for a really long time. And that's a whole nother funny story that I wish I had time to tell you. But if you can only imagine being a single guy for decades, OCD, everything in my house was, was perfectly in order. And then one day overnight, I'm married. I got five kids. I cannot even begin to tell you how much uh, love and joy they brought to my life. And how many, many opportunities they have taught me that biblical, great character trait of patience. But anyway, they're amazing, seriously, but it was hilarious. So God was preparing me. And today, while you're waiting, God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. And then sometimes 
You got to remember, you just got to keep on asking. You just got to keep on knocking. You got to just keep on believing. And the God who, who says, call upon me and I will answer you in the day of trouble. He will answer you. It just may not be as soon as you would like for him to. Because even in my own life, I've seen it happen over and over again. And we got married. I adopted all the kids. And years into the marriage, something happened that was one of the most painful things that I've experienced in all my life. Because one morning, I uh, went to our, to our restroom, our, my wife and I's bedroom, and I noticed under the door, there was a piece of paper that, that was laying there. And I picked it up and began to read it. As I began to read through the words, it just totally broke my heart. Because our daughter, second daughter, who had just recently turned 18, told me that um, she was telling my wife and I, of course, my wife was still asleep, that she had decided, she's like, I know you're not gonna agree with me. I know you're not gonna like this, but, but I'm moving out. And, and I can't begin to share with you the pain, the hurt, the shock. We had zero, I'm talking zero warning. The hurt and anger. I thought I was angry. I was hurting for her, hurting for my wife and angry for the thought that my wife had lost her first husband, a son. And now I've got to break the news to her that our 18 year old daughter has moved out. It's right before the Thanksgiving holidays, it was right around Halloween, early November. And um, it was brutal, brutal. Woke my wife up, of course she was in shock. We go to the school, request to talk to her and there's, hey, she's 18, she doesn't even have to meet with you. It's very humiliating because I knew the principal, most of the staff, a lot of the faculty, our church partners quite a bit that high school. But of course, they were just doing what they're supposed to do, but she did come meet us. And the girl that walked in their room was not the girl that I knew. Hard, cold, just, just very angry. We tried to reason with her, talk to her, nothing. We eventually found out that she was moving into the home of the parents of her boyfriend. He was off at college. He was a year ahead of her. A guy that, that we had encouraged her not to date because he had been fresh in his faith and just, just wasn't the best at that time for a lot of reasons. And um, it just wasn't good. We prayed. We begged. The evil one, of course, launched all kinds of attacks, quite frankly, on me, mentally and emotionally. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you're gonna go preach today? You're gonna tell everybody about hope today? You're gonna talk to them about God coming through for you today, and yet your daughter is not even home anymore? Estranged from you and your wife and your kids? Devastating to our entire family? No matter how, we, we flew in a, specialist counselor who came in to meet with us. She finally agreed to meet. Second session, she walked out. It was brutal. Months pass. Without anyone knowing, even his own parents, 
they go down to the courthouse days before her high school graduation and get married. And no matter what we tried to do, it just, it just wasn't working to reconcile. They moved to Orlando where he was in school months. Yeah, there was some contact, but it was not good. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. Our church prayed. They finally had two years into their marriage, they had their first child, little baby girl, beautiful little girl. That eased tensions a little bit, but it wasn't until a few months after that that we had the opportunity, finally a God moment because of some things that had happened to sit down. And in that moment, literally, we were able to talk. Reconciliation occurred, restoration occurred. They apologized for everything that happened, her for leaving home, him for, for all that he had done and getting married without our blessings and even dating without our blessings and so forth and so on and so on. And, and, and quite frankly, I had to apologize because as the months passed, I was not always responding like I should have. And so God supernaturally restored that relationship and answered our prayer. And today they're both living for the Lord. They have two kids. They've got another on the way. My son-in-law loves Jesus, loves his wife, loves his kids. We couldn't have a better relationship. He's about to start his PhD in math. I'm telling you, God is the God who can restore. God is the God who can reconcile. God is the God who can bring what seems to be an impossible situation and make it possible. So what is it that you're carrying today? What's the burden in your life that came to mind on the front end of the message when I ask you to think about that? Why don't we bow our heads right now and pray? And why don't you take a moment and call upon the name of the Lord? your heavenly father who loves you, your heavenly father who wants to intervene on your behalf. And the scripture says, if we'll cast all of our care onto him because he cares for us. And today we as a church family wanna pray with you, wanna pray for you. And if God doesn't come through today, you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking, keep bombarding God's throne because the scripture says it's a throne of grace. We can find mercy and help in our hour of need. So you ask him. And maybe you're here today and you've never crossed that line of faith by calling on the name of the Lord for the very first time to seek his love and forgiveness because God loves you so much. He sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross and shed his blood, was buried on the third day he rose. And he says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. They'll have eternal life, will be forgiven. And the the most important relationship you could ever have is between you and God. And when that one's there, he's there to help you. So would you call on him as well? Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, you know the hurts and the heartaches that are represented in this room, at our other campus, to those viewing online. And I pray that if we call out to you, that you would intervene on their behalf. And Father, I pray today that supernaturally you would do in a matter of moments, what couldn't even happen in a lifetime for their good, and for your glory, we pray in believing. In Jesus' name, amen.